Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Let me say something right off the bat, and it will tie in with what I'm talking about this morning. We're still talking about healing and will be for another week or two at least. Who knows? It might be another five or six weeks. I'm in no hurry to get off this. Are you in a hurry for me to stop talking about this? Too bad. No. Uh, but I'm going to say this about baptism first, um, because I, uh, when we've done baptisms in the past, I have done a message about baptism, either the week before we do it, or we'll do a, a message about baptism and then baptize at the end of the service. Um, but significantly, one of the significant things about baptism, and this is what touches on the message today about healing, is that baptism isn't something that you do. Baptism is something that somebody else does to you. you we baptize people. You were baptized by somebody else. You don't now, I read one story, an autobiography of a woman in the Middle East who had a supernatural encounter with Christ and knew no other believers, but she got her hands on this contraband Bible and saw the importance of baptism, and she didn't know what to do. She, there was nobody she could ask to baptize her, but she desperately wanted and felt she needed to be baptized, so she filled her tub with water and dunked herself. Uh, but that's, that's the exception, not the rule. You know, it's ki- I, I put that in the same category of people who are put in solitary confinement for the crime of becoming a Christian. It happens. But that doesn't relieve you and me of the responsibility uh, to, to respond to God's command to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We are meant to do this as a body of believers. And uh, it's one thing, I, it's, it's easy to blow somebody off who says, uh, well, I feel closer to God when I'm out in the woods by myself or on a mountaintop. Well, okay, you might feel like that, but, but the, the biblical model is to be together. We are not the body of Christ, really, uh, as he intends for it to be expressed, unless we are together. We need to gather. Then somebody could answer, could answer, I've never really heard anybody argue this way, well, what about people who can't gather? What about people who are in jail? God will meet them where they're at. For those of us who have the option, the command is clear, okay? Same way with baptism. People may have legitimately baptized themselves, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. We need other people involved in this process. A little bit more about baptism that doesn't necessarily talk about, uh, to touch on what we're going to say about healing. But it is, it is simple, and most of us know this. Uh, baptism is not what saves us. It is not the physical water that washes us clean of our sins. It is not the act uh, of baptism, although there are certain um, traditions throughout Christianity that put a great deal more emphasis on baptism than we do. I have said this many times, and I still stand by it. Uh, People in our tradition, I think, make the mistake of putting too little emphasis on baptism. Uh, when when the, the argument, and sometimes it would turn into an argument, uh, between uh, me and, and other living word people, or maybe even other evangelicals, uh, with uh, maybe Church Christ friends, 
uh, over the years. It's like, well, you know, the, it, would, it would always descend into some ridiculous question like what if somebody believes in their heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confesses with their mouth, but before they can be baptized in water, they trip and fall and break their neck on the way up to the baptismal or something like that. Does this person go to heaven? And some would actually say no. Uh, no baptism, no heaven. Uh, but that's not really not what the argument's about. Uh, because our argument was always, well, if you have to be baptized to be saved, then that's, that's a works mentality. You can't do anything to save yourself. Jesus did it all. Well, if you're going to make that argument, isn't confessing with our mouth a work? Okay, it's, if there's any physical effort involved. Nobody's claiming that it's the baptism that saves you. I believe what it boils down to is it is the most, it is the best expression of the biblical, uh, biblical confession of Jesus Christ. This is the way we are to publicly confess our salvation. Now, I believe privately, I know you're never going to convince me uh, the moment I got saved that I didn't get saved because I hadn't been baptized yet. I confessed with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and it wasn't in church, it wasn't in public. I did have the opportunity to make that public confession, and it was later, even later than that, that I got water baptized subsequent to my salvation. Uh, but ideally... You should be saved and then baptized and filled with the Spirit, boom, 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 all within minutes of each other. That would be perfect if we had that opportunity. You know, when I think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, he shares Christ with him and he says, look, there's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? Nothing. You may be, if you believe. And he takes him down, baptizes him right in that moment. That was Philip, right? Okay. So, uh, so, th so this is it. We are, it's also an act of obedience, we are commanded to repent and be baptized. So it's a matter, and it's a matter of imitating Christ. Follow, we, we always often use the phrase following Christ in baptism. Jesus didn't need to have his sins washed away, but he was baptized as an example for us. So we follow him in baptism to imitate Jesus. We obey the command to repent and be baptized. It is a public profession of our faith, and it is symbolic of two important things. One, having our sin washed away by that water, and the death of burial, and resurrection into the new life that Christ offers us in reality. Amen? So that's what it's good for. That's what's important about it. And that's why you need to be excited about next week, and I know you are, and anybody else who uh, needs to make that public profession of faith. Okay. Now, uh, this message, when I talked about having somebody having to baptize you, the broader... Um, point I'm making, the main point I'm making today, is how God works his healing power in numerous ways, but they very often, and I believe most of the time, involve other people. How he ministers healing through us, to one another, and even to people outside in the world. But God has done this, uh, broadly speaking, with most of his miracles. There are times when God just does something, but the, it's, it's very hard to find a miracle that God does or any work that he does throughout history. Old Testament knew where he wasn't using an individual to work that miracle through. Uh, you think, you know, I, I mentioned uh, Elijah uh, last week when he was uh, with, uh, staying with the, God directed him to stay with a widow that he had appointed to provide for him, the widow of Zarephath. And how, first of all, she had to go make this cake. It was her, her faith, her acting in response to Elijah's command, go make me a cake first, and then you and your son can eat, that kept that oil from failing and kept that flour from running out for who knows how long, possibly years. 
But I also think about when, uh, when her son died and Elijah uh, went up and what did he do? He, just didn't, he didn't tell her, well, uh, God may raise him from the dead. Let's see what happens. Or even God will raise him from the dead. He got involved. He went and stretched himself out on this boy and, uh, and he rose from the dead. Um, you think about when Hezekiah uh, applied that uh, poultice uh, to, the, to his wound and he was, grant, he was granted healing. It wasn't necessarily the, the, the medicinal properties. Uh, it was the power of God. But acting in faith, he applied that fig paste or whatever it was. Now I'm referring to things that I haven't turned to, but I'm also thinking a couple things. I was actually working with Josiah Beals on, on something. I can't remember what it was for, uh, even though I've asked him se- even since we were uh, kind of looking at some stuff. But the project, the, the theme was... God doing a lot with a little. And we came up with the example of uh, Gideon's 300. Do you remember Gideon was going out against the Midianites and he was already vastly outnumbered and, 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 and God said, your army's too large. If you go out there and fight them now, uh, you can attribute it to your great skill and, and uh, weaponry and everything else. So make your army smaller. And they whittle it down to 300 people so that there's no way in the natural they could have won this battle and they win anyway, right? But... I guess I'm saying, could God have done this without Gideon? Could he have dropped a meteorite on the Midianites and just killed them without Gideon getting involved? Yeah, he, he could have, but he didn't. I think Jonathan and his armor bearer was another example. Uh, he, Jonathan told his armor bearer, hey, let's go up into the enemy's camp and, and take them on because if God's for us, it does, it, he doesn't need a whole army. He can, he can do it with just the two of us. He said it's, it's a, it, he, it, many or few, but he doesn't say none. He still used Jonathan and his armor bearer to go up there and stir things up. Uh, and Jesus himself, when he fed the 4,000, when he fed the 5,000, he, he could have, I suppose, spoken in faith by the unction of the Holy Spirit and said, hunger, go away. Just spoken a word and caused them to be supernaturally filled. But he didn't. He took the little that was there, a few fish, a few loaves, and multiplied them and fed them supernaturally so that there was more left over than what they started with. Now, I'm going to tell you something, a little story, that at first is going to have no connection to what I'm talking about. Stick with me because I will make you understand the connection. And I'll try to keep it quick. I've told you before in other contexts that I used to work at a Tibetan restaurant. And the reason I usually tell this story is because the, the exciting part about it, the meaningful part, was my boss was the nephew of the Dalai Lama, and I got to rub shoulders with some very uh, dedicated Buddhists over the course of my time there. This was in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, but but uh, as an employee there, we got, we got half-price meals, and, and I, I had my first curry dish there. There were two dishes, chicken curry noodles and chicken Indian curry, and they came at different heat levels. And that's when I developed my love of hot food, uh, and, I, and I developed uh, what I thought was, hey, I like curry, but I never had curry again for years, and I've never been to an Indian restaurant. I kind of got it into me recently. I'm going to try to make curry at home. And I made a crock pot full of chicken curry. It was really good, and so I made another pot, shared it with Courtney and Emily. Courtney gives me a thumbs up. Emily hasn't even tried it yet. And... Uh, but I love it. It's good. But uh, I went to the Asian market to get some curry paste and some curry powder uh, instead of getting that McCormick stuff. The McCormick stuff's probably fine. This just seems, it's number one, it's cheaper there. And number two, it just seems more authentic. And there were two curry powder envelopes. And one says curry pur, P-U-R, pur. 
And it also said spicy. And so I wanted it a little hotter than, than some people like it. Uh, I mean, I'm not one of those fire eaters, but I do like, I do like things on the hot side. And I, I bought this curry pur and, and I mixed it with the paste. And I was just kind of winging it. It just happened to turn out good. And I started thinking, I wonder if the word pur means hot. Does it mean spicy in, in Hindi or whatever? So I looked it up. I'm kind of a nerd about this stuff. I like learning little phrases and word origins. I don't know if anybody else is into that kind of thing. So uh, I started looking it up, and, and it turns out pur does mean hot or spicy. But in the original Hindi, it means bright. Bright as in luminous. So a bright light would be a light that is poor. Does this make sense? Makes sense to me. Uh, but in early times, luminosity was uh, often, or most of the time, associated with fire. So poor evolved as a word to describe heat. But just like you and I might use the words bright or brilliant, not just to describe a light, but to describe a person who is smart. Uh, poor came to describe someone who is... Uh, uh, attractive. But, and this is the interesting part, because we might say somebody's hot and mean that they're attractive. That's not really the connection here. Uh, they, they would use the word poor, which meant luminous or uh, full of heat or warm. But if they were describing a person, they would add the word te or tai. I can't, I'm not sure how they pronounce it. So it's per tai or per te. And so an attractive person was poor, but not just poor, poor te. And that, you may have guessed this already, English word developed pretty, purty. It's like per te, purty, pretty. That's where we get the English word pretty. It's kind of interesting, right? Here's the important thing about that story. I made that up. <laughs> Except the, up to, it was true up to the point where I stopped making the curry. I really did. All the stuff before the Hindi word, I have no idea what poor means to this day. Now, wouldn't it be something? Somebody goes home and they do the research and it turns out everything I said is exactly right. Then we'll have a whole nother meeting next week. And it's like, wow, we, that was pure prophecy. But no, I made all that stuff up. But it sounded kind of good, didn't it? <laughs> Grandpa couldn't have pulled that one off. I made some of that stuff up on the spot. There's two reasons I share it with you, and both of these reasons are worth the cost of admission this morning. One is this. I just referenced several biblical characters and events, but we didn't turn to the Bible to read those events, right? I do that from time to time in the, in the, in the interest of time. If I'm going somewhere and I know we're going to spend some time on it, I'll reference things that are really in the Bible and I do my best to reference them in context. I do my best to pronounce everything right. Uh, but I don't have time to go and read these passages. Now, when I do that, when I say something like Gideon's 300, I'm operating on the assumption that most, maybe not everybody, most of you know who Gideon was. You know about where he fits in, in the history of, of the Old Testament. Uh, you might even know which book of the Bible he's in. You might even know which chapter. It's Judges chapter... Uh, 12, by the way, I think, or 7. 7. Judges 7. And then, here's what you do. This is a lesson on how to listen to a sermon. You hear an unfamiliar phrase. 
or name or story. Or maybe it's like, I've heard that before, but now that you mention it, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you where. I couldn't tell you if Gideon was Old Testament or New Testament. I couldn't tell you if he was Book of Judges or, or uh, one of the prophets or what. Write it down. You come into this service with a Bible and a notebook, or at least a notebook and a pen, because we'll have the scriptures up here when we refer to them. But if, even if you don't have your Bible with you, write down Gideon's 300. And that's enough. It's enough, especially today. It was enough 20, 30 years ago, but it was a little more work 20 or 30 years ago. You know what you have to do now? You go, I promise you, you go to your computer or your phone, type in Gideon's 300, and the first or second result is going to be a, um, a, a Bible reference. A scripture, it'll be a scripture reference, Judges chapter 7. And it'll take you right to Bible Gateway or something like that. Two clicks and you are there in the story. And you can read about Gideon, Gideon's 300, and you can go back a chapter, forward a chapter, and read the whole story in just a matter of minutes. Check it out on your own. It is absolutely worth doing. Jesus feeding 5,000. You can even jot down, did Jesus feed 5,000 or did Jesus feed 4,000? You find out he did both. This isn't just uh, one story being told in two different places. The same, it's the same, these are two different stories. Jesus himself talked about it. Hey, how much was left over the time I fed 5,000 people? Hey, you remember how, many, how much was left over when I fed 4,000 people? And they knew. They had it. Disciples had it memorized. This many baskets of bread, this many baskets of fish. So I was re-watching. I'm still on the first point here, I think. Yeah, this is, this is all about knowing your Bible. And, and, and if you don't know it, doing a little work on your own so that you do know it. I was re-watching a video the other day of three well-known ministers. I say three, I'm assuming they were all fairly well-known. I was very familiar with two of them. And this was from years ago when one of those ministers has passed. But it was a panel discussion. And these were ministers I liked, by the way, not just what, that I was familiar with. And it was a panel discussion. I th and I think most of the... Uh, audience in this case were uh, the student body of a, of a Bible college, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the background. The main thing, it was a panel discussion, and you had a moderator there reading questions from the audience, and one of the questions, and this video was just this question, are tongues for today? And it's maybe a 12, 15-minute video. And these ministers tackle this question. And the, again, the two that I was familiar with, uh, one of the reasons I like them is they are good Bible scholars, and so at least they had the good sense to say, to not say, no, it's not for today. They, they did not say, oh, no, this was, this was only for a certain time period for a certain purpose. They, but they did absolutely, from my standpoint, embarrass themselves in trying to explain it. You know, the, 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 more, the more scholarly one, a legendary Bible scholar, 90% of you would know his name if I said it. Uh, said, well, we can't bridge the gap. It's a cultural gap of, of 1,900 years. We don't know what was going on uh, in Corinth. Uh, we know what these words mean, but, but as far as how do we... And then he hemmed and hawed and started telling stories about his experience with the charismatic movement in the 60s and prophecies that were brought forth that didn't come true and tongues and interpretations that you didn't need. And the other, yeah, the other guy focused on, here's a tongue and interpretation, but I didn't need a tongue and interpretation for that because it was right out of Scripture. Well, the question is, are tongues for today? And neither one of them answered it. 
Third guy, though, and I never really paid attention to this guy before because I didn't know him, and I was watching it the other day. He said, look at what happened on the day of Pentecost. It was unique to the day of Pentecost because what happened was when these people began speaking in other tongues, what did the people around them hear? They heard Peter preach the gospel in their own language. Except he didn't. It doesn't say that. But he said that, and everybody's like, yeah. He says, and his whole point, as you probably guessed, and as many people have preached over the years, this is the purpose of tongues, is because it enables us to spread the gospel, preach the gospel in foreign countries more efficiently and more quickly without having to learn the language. God just allows us to speak that language. That's not what happened on the day of Pentecost. They did hear the disciples preaching uh, or the disciples speaking in languages that they recognized as their mother tongue or whatever country they were living in, but it didn't say they weren't preaching the gospel. They were declaring the mighty works of God. They were pray, it, was a, it was a praise and worship service. And then when the crowd got together, whoa, what's going on here? We're hearing them all these languages. Then Peter spoke, and Peter preached the gospel in Greek, possibly Aramaic, which they all spoke also. He didn't get up there and, and preach in all these different tongues. All these people, even though they, they might have come from, you know, lists, I don't know how many different languages, 12, 12 or 13 different languages, and so we all hear him in our own tongue, but they all probably spoke Greek as well, or Aramaic or Hebrew, but Peter preached it in one language. The point is, this guy said, look at what happened, look what they heard. They heard the gospel preached in their own language. That's not what the Bible says. And if you just take, well, this guy said it. That must be what it's for. And just that one little detail changes how you read that verse and that whole episode in Acts chapter 2. So, that's lesson one. (laughs) Follow along in your Bible if I turn to Scripture. Make a note of the reference if I don't turn to Scripture. And spend time on your own checking this stuff out. Be like the Bereans. B-E-R-E-A-N-S. If you don't know who the Bereans are, check them out too. Second point goes back to something I said a few weeks ago. Now, the story I made up about the origin of the word pretty, that was hot garbage, like I said, as far as I know. Uh, But the good news about that story is it doesn't matter. It's a silly story. It doesn't change anything. Maybe, I mean, maybe it made you a little more, I'm not going to trust Pastor Scott as much as I used to because he's going to pull this stuff. But that story, if I'm wrong about the origin of the word pretty, coming from the Hindi word for hot, it's, whether it's true or whether it's not, it doesn't make a shred of difference in your life, I hope. There was... I used to kind of... Uh, I mean, I guess it would matter <laughs> if you went up to somebody with a Hindi language background and said, you're very poor tay. And they either look at you like you're stupid or maybe you're saying something that means nothing like what you mean to say. I did that to a kid, to a kid once. Sorry, one more story and I'll move on. When I, when I was a Ramus student, I was working at the grocery store. I really do have a love of languages, by the way. Not so much where I do this deep study, but I've always been interested in learning greetings, you know, how to say thank you, how are you, uh, whatever. Uh, in, in just so I can greet people. If I know they speak another language, I might speak that language to them. Just, again, just a greeting. I don't know why. It's just, it's fun. And there was a, uh, for some reason, in Tulsa, there was a pretty uh, vibrant and numerous uh, Filipino population. And so we'd get a lot of Filipinos coming into the store, 
and I had I learned I already knew how to greet somebody in, in Tagalog, which is the main um, language in, in the Philippines. And so I would say, you know, magandang umaga, magandang hapon, whatever, kumustaka, how are you? And, they, and the kids would giggle because they knew it too. And there was one kid who really liked me, and he came in one day with a sheet of paper where he wrote down about 20 Tagalog words and the English, and sometimes with a little picture. And so he wanted me to memorize these words, and, and the kid was probably uh, seven or eight years old, and he just got tickled when I would look at this list of things and, and, and try to use, and, and it's a pretty easy language to, it's not like Vietnamese. There were a lot of Vietnamese down there, but you really have to wrap your tongue and your throat around the language to speak it right, or you say the completely wrong word. Uh, Tagalog is pronounced a lot like Spanish is, so if you can read Spanish, you can read Tagalog. So uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Tagalog word for thank you is salamat, salamat. And when one of the baggers, this is back in the good old days, when uh, people would bag your groceries for you and carry them out to your car. We had carry-out service. And I told this bagger, he was carrying out uh, groceries for one of these Filipino families. I said, hey, if you want to really give them a smile, when you take this out to there, take, this, uh, take their groceries out, say, salamat manok, salamat manok. He said, what's it mean? I said, it means thank you very much. Say it for me, salamat manok. That's all you got to do. Put the groceries in the car, say salamat manok. Well, what I told him to say was, thank you, chicken. Because manok was one of the words on this list. <laughs> so he came in, what'd you do that for? I said, did they get mad? No, they laughed at me. I said, that's all I wanted. I just wanted them to laugh. So it might matter, but it won't matter in the grand scheme of things if my Hindi story was a lie, which it was. But... That being said, if you attend a church or sit under authoritative teaching where somebody is telling you confidently that, for instance, the gifts of healing are not for today, that the age of miracles has passed, or anything else that will undermine your faith for healing, that matters. Even if they're not doing it on purpose. It matters. As Pastor Mike mentioned a couple weeks ago, it could be life or death. It's not going to hurt you to believe my story about Hindi. Again, unless you say something insulting to somebody. It might hurt our relationship if I didn't tell you it was a false story. But it will hurt you if you believe wrong Bible teaching. And if God intends your healing, if he wills your healing and has made provision for your healing, and you believe a false teaching that says, that's not for today, it could be very, very costly for you. Because what you believe about God's word matters in your experience as much as what God's word says. Told this story a dozen times. I'll keep telling it because I think it's important. Remember that little sticker, bumper sticker, whatever it was that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Remember that? How many times have you seen that, right? And I remember somebody very confidently posting something, or, or maybe there was another sticker that says, God, settled, God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. That's not true. God said it, but if you don't believe it, it won't settle it for you. God's word is forever settled in heaven, but if it's going to be settled in my life and my experience, I have to believe it and speak it. There will be a message 
two weeks from today where I focus on faith for healing. So I know we've got at least two weeks because next week it's going to be healing and forgiveness or forgiveness and healing, the connection between those things. And two weeks it's going to be healing and faith. But that's where that's going to come in, what faith for healing looks like and sounds like. Now, back to our regularly scheduled sermon. Because the point I'm zeroing in here on is that God most often does his mighty works through the hands of men. Or even other creatures. You know, back to Elijah, when God told him to camp out at the, at the brook there for a while, he said, you know, there's, there's going to be a drought in the land, so that means uh, less food to be harvested as well as less water. But you camp out by this brook, you can drink from the brook, and I'll provide meat for you. How did he provide the meat? It didn't just materialize out of nowhere. He had ravens bring it to him. It was real meat brought by real birds. So, uh, again, God could have, and Jesus could have, simply spoken a word and caused things to change, but he did things and worked things through his hands and through the hands of men. When he healed people, this is getting down to cases, he used a variety of methods. Uh, he touched people. In, one, in, in uh, one account, he touched a blind man's eyes and healed them. He took, a woman by, took Peter's mother-in-law by her hand, took the little girl by her hand, uh, raised the girl from the dead, healed Peter's mother-in-law of the fever. Uh, so, and he laid hands on people. He used spit, saliva, at least twice. He spit in a blind man's eyes. Actually, at least three times because he, uh, he also made mud out of spit and smeared it on a blind man's eyes and told him to go wash. Healed his blindness. There was a two-step process uh, uh, where it, actually, that was when he spit in the guy's eyes. That was a, a two-step healing process. He put his fingers in the ears of a deaf mute man and put spit on his tongue and loosened his tongue. Uh, one woman was healed by touching his garment. Others, notably the centurion's servant, were healed without Jesus being even physically present. Just spoke a word. Believe me, we're coming back to that one in a week, uh, two weeks. The point is, if we're going to imitate Christ and his healing ministry, there's no formula there when it comes to healing the sick other than being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do in that moment. The point is, the big point, the main point is, whatever method he used, he healed them all. It does. It's interesting how it goes into detail with individual healings. But it's also just as telling that never do we see somebody brought to Jesus. Never. Somebody who came to Jesus for healing or somebody who was brought to healing for Jesus where Jesus said, not this one, not now. And move on to the next one. He healed them all. Whether he spoke, whether he laid hands on them, whether he spit on them, he healed them all. It's, I guess it's not funny, it's interesting to me that there's not a spitting ministry out there somewhere. And I say that, and there probably is. No one knowing this crazy world, there probably is. Uh, First Church of the Holy Spittle. I don't know. <laughs> Just like that, shadow ministries, everything else. People were healed by Peter. Shadow, you know, we don't, I don't know, see that happening. Anyway, we are told that these signs will follow those who believe. And one of those things is they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's a command and a promise. We are told, uh, actually, here's what I think. It's, we lay hands on the sick, and this is talking about going out into the world. I believe we can lay hands on unbelievers. Okay? But 
I believe the closest thing we have to a formula for the healing of a believer, and I don't believe this is a formula, this is just something we can look at uh, and then look at the broader picture, but the closest thing we have to a formula for the healing of the believer is in James chapter 5, so let's look at that together. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I was listening. It's so hard for me not to name names. And typically, if you ask me after a service who I was talking about, I'll tell you. I just don't want to sound like I'm bashing somebody on the recording uh, because I'm going to talk about another guy here. And it's again, again, I, I, I don't want to bash him because even the, these other ministers I just spoke about on that question of our tongues for today and this one, that blessed me over the years. And this guy in particular has a gift for bringing Bible characters to life, especially when he's talking about characters in the Old Testament. Wonderful, wonderful uh, storyteller, preacher, and teacher, but he was teaching on this passage, and his, his problem is he's a dyed-in-the-wool cessationist, and so he has to go through the same mental gymnastics to explain away uh, some clear teaching on miracles and healing and gifts of the Spirit, even as they, uh, as they apply today. But here are the points he made about this passage. Uh, the elders were educated people who had some knowledge of medicine, and the anointing with oil was actually an application of medicinal herbs, uh, etc., mixed with prayer, of course. And this is what it meant to have the elders pray and anoint them with oil. Is Yes, of course they're going to pray, but God, in, during that prayer, God is going to impart wisdom, which medicinal herbs to apply uh, for the healing of whatever ailment this person is experiencing. And that this specific ritual is necessary and effective in cases where the sickness was brought on because of a specific sin. In other words, we say this, not all sickness is caused by sin, but if it is, then this is the way to get healed. This, is, this was his take on this verse. This isn't for every sick person. It's not even for every sick believer. It's for a person who is sick because of their sin. Whether it was a sinful behavior or habit that made them sick, or whether they were sick because they were being judged for a sin, this is, this is really only, this is the message I got from him, this ritual of having the elders pray and anoint with oil is only for sickness that is caused by an identified sin. That's why it says, and if he has committed sins, they'll be forgiven. So you come up, you're forgiven of the sin, and then you're made well from the sickness that is caused by sin. Ergo, he didn't come out and say this, but the only conclusion I can draw is, if you're just sick, sorry. This healing ritual is only for people who are sick because they sinned. Does that make sense? And yeah, I'm saying, obviously, that just because you're sick doesn't mean you're sick because you sinned. We've all sinned, right? Most of us even. 
I'd say at least half of us have sinned since we got saved. Yeah, how about all of us, right? So even granting all that, uh, which is ridiculous for reasons I'll go into next week. Next week, again, I'll be talking, maybe among other things, but certainly the, the focus next week is the relationship between forgiveness and healing. Um, even granting all that, this preacher was still unwilling to say that any of that goes for today. That even back then, this was only for a specific category of sickness, but even uh, granting all that, which I don't, it was for then and not for now. And, and, and my question is why? And some people will say, I've actually heard them say, and thankfully, not very many people have said this, but maybe you've heard it. Well, they didn't have the doctors and the medicine that we have today. And they didn't. For most of human history, some would say up until 100 years ago, some would say a little bit further back when we finally figured out there was such a thing as germs, uh, but when we talk about modern medicine, we are going no further back than the late 1700s, and really more like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Medicine was indistinguishable from witchcraft for much of history. A lot of traditional folk medicine, and some might have worked a little bit here and there, but even if it did, they didn't know why. So what we're saying is, first of all, when, when people say that the gifts and these miraculous healings aren't for today, most of the time they're saying it was for the apostolic age only while the church was being established. It established apostolic authority uh, and, and it was there to provide a, a sign and a wonder until we had the whole Bible between two covers. But when people say, well, also God, God made healing available until there was medicine and treatment available, that is a very culture-centric statement to make. That's an easy thing to say, living here and now. Living in the United States in 2023, that's a very narrow worms, wormhole view of worldwide access to health care, isn't it? If, and, what, and what, it's like God's like, oh, hurry up and invent modern medicine so I can stop expending all my healing power. I'm running out of breath here. Is there any lack in God? If healing extended at all beyond the apostolic age, then it is all for today. God's power doesn't lack, and I maintain it is still God's will to heal, just as much as it was 2,000 years ago. Medical science has taken great strides. Who was it? Was it Oliver Wendell Holmes who said that if all the medicine and all the drugs were thrown into the ocean, it would be better for everybody except the fish? Uh, and I think, I think maybe Dowie or Lake or somebody expanded that and said, take all the doctors and medical instruments and all the medicine and throw them in the ocean, and it'll be better for humanity and worse for the fish. Uh, but that was more or less true when they said it. There's a, the, the world of medicine is, is a great deal different today, but it's not like, okay, now that we've got that fixed, we don't need the power of God anymore. It is still Christ who is our healer. Here's what James is saying, and I'm going to hold off on addressing the forgiveness of sins until next week, and I'm, and I'm getting pretty close to wrapping this up. Hang in there. He's saying this, if you are a believer and you're sick, you reach out to the mature believers in your believing community, your church, 
and they will pray, they will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. The oil doesn't heal. When Jesus told us to lay hands on the sick, he didn't instruct us to use oil. He just said, go lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Maybe the different, again, I don't like being formulaic about any of this, but maybe uh, if you want to get technical, we lay hands on the sick unbeliever and we anoint the sick believer with oil. I think that's kind of splitting hairs. But the anointing oil, either way, is analogous to mud, clay, spittle, or any other thing. It's merely a point of contact between your faith and the person who's praying for you. If I, in obedience to the word of the Lord, pray for you, and you, in obedience to the word of the Lord, come to me for prayer or call on me for prayer, that oil, just like my physical touch or anything else, is nothing more than a point of contact. This is where we are meeting in agreement over the word and will of the Lord. This is what the oil is for. The word anointing itself is a word that has been inflated and abused even. There's a lot to it, don't get me wrong, but the word in its simplest definition simply means applying oil to. That's what it means to anoint. It's our obedience and our prayer and our agreement coming together on the will of God concerning sickness that saves the sick heals the sick. And that's why I get really uptight, and I, uh, this used to be a lot more common than it is, but I'm sure it's still out there. People, ministers, selling little vials of special anointing oil. This is anointing. This oil has been prayed over by this guy and this guy and this guy. It's miracle anointing oil. This is the oil you need. We've got a little vial up here of oil that I use often when I'm praying for the sick, it's IGA olive oil, okay? It's not even the good olive oil. There is a ritual aspect to this, but the power is not in the ritual itself, like baptism. There is a ritual aspect to baptism, and it's important, but the power is not in the ritual itself. Like I said, the physical water does not wash away your sin. The, the water does not confer eternal life. But it is a physical act of obedience to Scripture. It is agreeing with God's Word. It is a physically demonstrated confession that my sins need to be washed away by something, by someone outside myself. And so, uh, when, and praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here. When you come up, and we're going to pray for the sick today, Again, I'm going to lay hands on the sick. We're going to, we're going to have a healing line. Uh, but when I pray for you, or when you come up to receive healing, this, I believe, is a legitimate... I have a friend, close friend, uh, who, uh, who said he was never going to have a healing line in church. He says, because the scripture clearly says, if anyone's among you sick, let them call for the elders of the church. It's not the other way around. That, to me, is dangerous legalism. And I told him so. If I stand up here saying, I would like to pray for you, then you are calling on me to pray for you by coming up here. You don't have to come up here, but by coming up here, you're calling. I'm just making it easier for you to call me as the chief elder of this church. Now, praise and worship team, if any of you want prayer, 
you get in line first when I, when, when I open this up. If, if I need to lay hands on anybody who's... So you guys can get back up there and minister the way you're going to. Um, but, uh, again, this is one way that God ministers healing. I have been healed sitting in my chair. I've been healing, healed. I'm talking about manifestly healed while I'm driving a car, walking down the stairs. I'm, I'm not just saying random things here. I'm talking about specific memories I have in the last 10, 15 years of when I can, I remember when the manifestation hit me just by confessing the word. I told you about really jacking it up when it comes to my confessing, saying my daily healing confession. Uh, if, I, if I'm fighting something, uh, hey, uh, put on that, my, my all-time favorite uh, thing to listen to when I'm fighting, uh, especially when I'm fighting something physical, is uh, Quicken Thou Me, music, a uh, collection of music by Keith Moore, full of healing songs. And there's, there's, he's got more stuff, and there's other people that have stuff. Just flood your soul, flood yourself uh, with that, those reminders that God heals, desires to heal, can heal, and does heal. And avail yourself of it with your confession and your faith. But one of the ways he clearly ministers healing is through the hands of other believers. And in this in case of James, the elders of the church. We could have all the elders come up here, but I'm not going to linger over you in prayer. I think there were times when Jesus spent a little more time with one person than another. But just like, just like uh, you know, maybe you've seen documentaries, maybe you've been in services, there's still a church. I won't go into their history either. But it's still alive and active where they'll spend whole services screaming at people to get the demons to come out of them. This is not biblical. Jesus never spent a whole lot of time in deliverance ministry, did he? He, de he? he delivered a lot of people from demons, but it was just like, out. You see, one comment, what's your name? I remember that part. There was part of a short conversation he had with the Gadarene demoniac. My name is Legion, for we are many. Uh... But normally he just, he just spoke to this person. And it was the same with him. Same Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. Same with J. Iris' daughter. Child arise. That was his healing prayer. Right? So don't be offended if I just lay my hand on your head and say, be healed. Maybe that's what I'll just say to everybody to make it even. Although, I don't like to, I don't, I don't like to eliminate God from this if God tells me something about you. Uh, but my intention is for you, when you come up here, if there's sickness in your body, pain in your body, injury. Remember, my confession is I come against every, I, I declare that I am free from all sickness, disease, malfunction, and disorder, and everything that rises up against good health. Okay? Say, well, you can't come up here because your arm hurts because it only hurts because you fell down. That's not a sickness or a disease. Jesus healed injuries too, didn't he? He healed violent injuries. He put Malchus's ear back on after Peter sliced it off right in front of him. He did creative miracles. That's another thing. Well, it's not a sickness. Uh, you're, you're, th th this person can't see because they were born without uh, an optic nerve or something like that. Jesus healed somebody who was blind from birth. This wasn't a disease. This was a birth defect. This was something missing. He healed them. If there's anything that rises up against good health, you are entitled by the finished work of Jesus Christ to be healed. Telling you all that so that when you come up here, it's not, well, hope Pastor Scott can heal me. 
It's I'm coming up knowing that it's God's will to heal me. I'm coming up and letting Pastor Scott lay hands on me and anoint me with oil so that we can agree over God's word because it's God's power that's doing the work in me. We're just coming together as a point of contact for our faith and in obedience to Scripture, which says, call for the elders of the church. They will pray for him and anoint him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Good enough. Stand up with me, because I'm going to do one more invitation before I have you come up here for healing, and that is this. If there's anybody in here who does not know Christ as your healer, it's because you don't know him as your Savior. These wonderful promises that God made are all predicated upon our being in his family, being redeemed, being forgiven. Sin, being in sin, which all of us were by virtue of the fact that we are descended from Adam, cuts us off from our birthright, our original, God's original plan for us which is life and life abundantly. This is what Jesus came to restore. There's no way we can get that back ourselves. Sin put us under a death sentence. Jesus took that sentence in his own body. He suffered our death. And when he, raised, and when he rose from the dead, he raised us to new life as long as we are in him. If you desire to be in Christ, if you've never acknowledged, I need, I need a savior, I can't save myself. Now I understand why Jesus died on the cross. I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord. You're the first person I want to pray with. So as soon as I say, come up here, you come straight up here and let me pray for you first. Or if you're somewhere else in line and I start to pray for your healing, grab me and say, I need to be saved. That's the, that's the main thing. And then, uh, so I'm going to pray. As soon as I'm done praying, you need to be saved, you run right up here. And anybody who needs to be healed, line up along here. But anybody who needs to... Uh, uh, if I need to pray for you because you need to get up there or anywhere else, or if you need to leave right away, try to uh, tell an usher or get down here in the center because this is where I'm going to start. Okay? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the rich history we have and the many, many examples that we don't have to go digging through Scripture looking for just one scrap of hope that you might heal, but we see your character displayed perfectly in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we see instructions in your word and how to receive the healing that you clearly desire and will for our lives. And so now as we enter into this, uh, these closing moments of this service, we believe that you are going to manifest your healing power in our midst for your glory. And because you love us, it'll be for our benefit. We will receive this healing so that we can be, because you love us, you want to see us free of these pains, and these diseases, and these limitations. I thank you, Father, also that you've made it abundantly clear that, it's, that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to this eternal life-giving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior. So if there's anybody in here, Lord, anybody in the sound of my voice who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord, does not you, know you as their Father, that the Holy Spirit would do what only he can do and convict the sinner of their need and grant them the wisdom, the boldness, and the humility to come and receive that free gift of eternal life today. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.